You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, let's dive right in here. Um, Actually, let's start, let's pray. I want to pray before we do this. Uh, God, just give me the words that you need me to have today. Um, help us to help us to hear your text today. Help us to hear the message that you would you would have us hear. Um, be speaking into our hearts. Help us be be aware of that, God. Um, just focus us on on your word today and the message here. I'll pray this in your name. Amen. Cool. That seems seems like a good way to start. Uh, this could be a fun one. Uh, I'm feeling. It's been a long week. I'm a little raw, so I'll either cry or say something wildly inappropriate during this sermon, probably. Um, so we'll, we'll just see. We'll see where that ends up. But we've been going through the book of Jonah. Um, fun little... I've been describing Jonah as pound cake because it is thick. There's, it's not a light, fluffy book. Like it's, it's short. The whole thing's like 48-some-odd verses or something like that. And uh, there, there's been so much that we keep pulling out of this. Um, you know, I, I grew up with the story of Jonah, and I, I, I'm not sure if I ever read chapter 4 until much later in my life, because in all of the children's Bibles, it ends with Nineveh being saved, and it's a happy, yeah, Jonah saved Nineveh, and it ends there, and nobody's in a whale, and, and all of that at the end of the story, and we're like, okay, and then, but now we're to chapter 4 today, and, and it's a little weird, um, in fact, it probably was the VeggieTales movie where I first realized that there was more after that bit of the story. But uh, if you haven't seen that, we've referenced it enough, you probably should go see it. It's hilarious. It's 70-some-odd minutes long, so it's not going to eat up too much of your life. Um, easier than a Netflix binge. But let's recap the story of Jonah real quick. And I want you to, because it, it's so easy because we're familiar with the story to fall into this lullaby effect where we're like, oh yeah, no, this is how it, this is how it goes. And we, uh, we put the little, uh, the quiz in the bulletin that first week, which uh, Lori and Bob apparently completely missed that we even had that in there. Uh, but if you didn't miss that and you've been, been following along kind of of where, where maybe some things that you might have not known or just kind of glossed over or forgotten about. Um, so be, be thinking about that quiz and be, be checking back with like, hey, where am I at on that? Just for funsies. Um, but let's put, on, let's put on our imagination goggles here for a second and pretend that we've never heard this story before. And we've, we've gone through the first three chapters now, and, and Jonah was this prophet, and God calls Jonah, uh, who's a prophet of the king in Israel, uh, in the northern kingdom, to go to their enemies in Assyria and go to Nineveh, this capital city, uh, which is a, not a nice place, and we'll talk about that a little bit more today too, that we're going to go to this Nineveh, and, and God's going to give them a message of they, they, they are going to be destroyed excuse me, they're going to be destroyed unless they repent, right? God's going to send Jonah to go be a prophet to this city and take his message. And Jonah does not like this. Jonah does not want to go. Jonah goes the opposite direction. We said uh, it was like if Nineveh was New York, Jonah goes to Hawaii or something. I think you actually said Butte, but I like New York better. Like, 
New, Butte's way better than New York, bro. Uh, like all the cities and people, ugh, gross. But anyway, uh, so Jonah runs like the opposite direction, right? And, and, he, and we talked about in the first week, there's all this like going down. God calls him to arise, but he goes down and he keeps going down. And then there's, there's a storm and then some pagans convert because Jonah's apparently a really good prophet despite his best efforts. Like he tries to be the worst, and he, like, he's doing nothing, but yet people around him are just coming to know the Lord all the time, which is kind of funny. Um, gives me a little hope for my life. Um, but so the, then they, they, they end up throwing Jonah into the sea, and then this big fish comes up and swallows him. And now we're into chapter two. And so then in the belly of the fish, uh, Jonah gives up this prayer. And, and it's, kind of a, it's kind of a weird prayer. And Rob talked about this last week. It's a, comp- it's a compilation of a bunch of psalms. And, and Jonah's going through. And we're not really sure, like, when we're, when we're listening to the story, it as kids, yeah, Jonah, like, turns his face back towards God, and, like, he's going to get back on path, and he, he repents, maybe? But does he, does he really? Because these psalms, like, they don't necessarily speak to that. Um, and you can go listen to Rob last week uh, if you missed that. But we, so we, we have this prayer, and, and God brings Jonah, and the, the fish yaks him up on shore, and, uh, and then and Jonah's now looking really nice, really clean because he's been in the belly of a fish. Uh, and, and so he probably looks really good. He has a lot of money to travel to Nineveh now because he used all or a lot of money to get this boat. Uh, so I'm being sarcastic here. Obviously, probably doesn't look good. Probably doesn't have a lot. So one, he now has to go to Nineveh and God has to provide for him. So that's a fun little thing. And he probably looks terrible, uh, completely bedraggled. And the, I like to think of his stomach acids have bleached him completely white. And he's now probably the first white person in the Bible. Um, there you go. Or at least, you know, it ate away his hair. So he probably doesn't look good. Like Jonah's not looking so hot. And Jonah goes to Nineveh though. Just, you know, I imagine him grumbling. He goes to Nineveh and he gives this really, really eloquent, eloquent speech of five words in the Hebrew. Um, I'm, once again, sarcasm. This is not the prophetic eloquent speech that we're used to. He gives this five word, uh, in the Hebrew, it's literally five words. And in my care group this last week, we were coming up with all the different ways you could deliver the message in five words. Like, hey, y'all, you gonna die. Or, um, nope, we're gonna stop there because I'm gonna say that, this, I'm gonna catch myself. I'm gonna say something wildly not okay. Um, but they were really fun. It's a fun game. How many, how many ways can you say, like, your city is doomed um, if end is near, repent now. Except for he doesn't actually say repent. He just says the end is near. You're out of luck. I don't, I know it's a terrible message. He doesn't tell him what to do, anything like that. And then the king, from the king all the way down, the entire city starts repenting and they throw on sackcloth and the king gives this decree that they're going to put on sackcloth and he's sitting in ashes and, and just wallowing in this in the hopes that maybe God won't destroy them. And they, they, the, the entire city is fasting and the, the sheep aren't even eating and they put, they put burlap on all the animals, which can you, like, I can't even put a sweater on my parents' dog without her freaking out. I can't imagine they all enjoyed the burlap like putting a sheep or a cow into some burlap. Good luck with that. This is the level of repentance. And we talked about that this is the, this is the imagery of repentance there. Um, so this is, where, this is where we ended last week with the entire city 
is repenting. And we're going to pick up today uh, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, the last verse of chapter 3 here. When God saw what they did, they being Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not. So God relents, and Nineveh is not going to be destroyed now because of their repentance. And this was after one day of preaching, this really lame five-word um, I think in the English, it was like eight or 10, depending on your translation. Not a very good message. Is that the one that God gave him? Maybe, might have been. But I like to think that when you put it in context, Jonah's just not, he's given that minimal effort, right? So we're going to pick up today in chapter four. We're going to read through this. We're actually going to probably read through this twice today. It's not very, it's 11 verses. It's not very long. There's a lot here though. So... Oh, wait, before we do this, before we read four, think for a second, what should come next in the story? See, I'm catching myself. Like, I want to just charge right ahead. But if I'm hearing this for the first time, which actually Evan in in my care group, we were talking about this last week. This is the first time he's ever heard this story. And it made me super excited because it's a really valuable insight to be able to say, what the first time you're hearing this, what are you hearing? Because you're, it's, a, it's a clean, blank canvas, right? So what, what's going to happen after Nineveh repents? Chapter 4, verse 1, what should happen? I have, a couple of, I have a couple of thoughts of things that would logically make sense. Maybe Jonah starts teaching the city about the God that spared them. I mean, he's a prophet, and God sent him to Nineveh, and now Nineveh has repented, and God has decided not to destroy them. So maybe Jonah's going to do a little preaching. And maybe he's apparently getting to talk with the king. And maybe he could affect their city for some good, right? This logically would make sense. We'd see this, right? Or uh, maybe Jonah goes back. Maybe he doesn't stay there. But he goes back to tell Israel this story. Um, because Israel, the northern kingdom, is not really following God well at this point. They're doing okay but they're, as a kingdom. But they are not following God well, and the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom are divided, and it's just, it's not very good. This is where Jonah's coming from. And so, I could see how this story of, like, if even the Ninevites could repent and get, it, and get themselves right with God so that he doesn't destroy them, maybe we could figure our stuff out, Israel. Like, he could go back and be like, all right, I saved them. Can you guys get on board now? I could see that. Okay. Um. What other ideas might pop into our head of what comes next? Let's take a, take a second. What should happen next? The reason we want to do this is because it's not what happens. Like, what we expect to happen does not... This, this whole story is constantly saying, well, here's this story, and we expect this, and this is what happens. God calls a prophet, and he doesn't do what God tells him to do, right? Constantly subverting expectations, So now let's read chapter four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. 
Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Let's stop there for a second. Um, So we're going to pull this apart more in a bit. But one thing I want to point out is at the beginning, right? Let's go go back a slide here. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. This displeased, like, this makes it sound, like, this sounds like the British version, like, I am greatly displeased. Like, no. Jonah is furious. This, this word displeased, it's, the, the, it's tied to the raw. Like, this is the evil. Like, this is the, he is inflamed. And this exceedingly modified, like, he is so angry right now. He's so angry. I'm like, well, that's, that's a little weird. And then God asks, do you do well to be angry? Hurrah. Um, and, and then we, he prays to the Lord. He says this, you know, like, God, I knew you were going to do this. This is why I didn't want to come. I knew you were going to, I knew you were gracious. Like, he's listing off all these really positive aspects of God. And when you put it in the context, like, he's furious when he's saying these things. Like, I'm so angry that you're nice. Like, it's, it's ironic. It's a little silly. Like he's, he's, a, he's a little kid throwing a temper tantrum. This is, this is what I imagine when I'm reading this. Okay, Let's go on. Uh, verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. He sat it, he sat it under the shade, uh, or he sat under it in the shade, till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Exceedingly glad. That's the same modifier as earlier when he's exceedingly angry. Just a fun little Hebrew tidbit there. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Jonah says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Like drama queen. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Question mark. End of story. One, that is, tell me God does not have a sense of humor because this story, and also a lot of cattle, like, what? And then it ends with a question. So we've been, we've been pulling apart the text and we've been pulling out a couple of things for you guys. Uh, one of these things that Rob's been pulling out has been the, the groups of three. Like there's been, there's been a couple of times where we see these things occurring three times and it should, the patterns and repetition should draw our attention to that. So in, 
in the pattern of that. We're going to point out a couple of threes here. The first one is this phrase, do well to be angry. This term, hurrah, right? We talked about ra, the evil, the evil and the ha is uh, the, apparently the modifier. It's like the evil, right? This, this evil in Jonah, this, this anger, this seed of ugh, not tasty goodness. It's like the pit of your stomach where just it's, something's eating away at him there. Okay? And this, this, uh, uh, this do well to be angry shows up three times. Uh, there's one other thing that I want to point out here, and we'll talk about this in footnotes, is there's a, there's a group of four where we see hurrah, uh, the angry, and we also see maveth, which is this to die. And those both occur four times. And we'll talk about that in footnotes this week. Um, it's kind of a fun little possible correlation there. The next thing that's a group of three is where we see God appoint something. And this word appointed shows up three times, right? And the, the, the Hebrew term for appointed is manah, M-A-N-A-H is a great way to spell it. And if you want, you, like, let, let's, let's say this, manah. And, you, and you're never going to forget this because it's manah, manah. Do, 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 manah, manah. God did provide, manah, God gave to Jonah a gourd so from the sun that boy could hide. All right, all right, I'm done. You're never going to forget that word now. <laughs> also, that song's going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. You're welcome. <laughs> anyway, so manah. This word manah means prepared a place, uh, provided, appointed. God gives this space. He makes this space for Jonah. And this is the same word that he used for the fish. God manah a fish to swallow Jonah, Right? You're like, well, that's a weird space. Like, I, I don't really want God to provide that sort of space for me. And then, and then the next time we see it, so God provides this space with the fish. And then on the flip side of Nineveh, God provides this, this plant over the top of Jonah. Now, Jonah has already built this shelter, but uh, that part of the world doesn't have a lot of things that are growing. Uh, great shelter building material. He's probably piling up some sticks or uh, piling up some stones, maybe some clay, and he builds this little little hut, maybe, throwing some stuff across it. But apparently it's not very good because when the plant grows, Jonah's exceedingly happy. Like he's super stoked because on, on, the, on the flip side of being exceedingly displeased, like this exceedingly happy is like the reverse of this. He is so happy that he has this, uh, this plant, which is probably a gourd. So he has this gourd from the Lord that's growing over him, and he's super stoked. This is the first time he's happy in the entire book. He's just, it's been one pity party after the next, and now he, he's so happy about this that God's provided this shade for him. <clears throat> and then God provides this worm, God mana a worm to kill the plant that he just gave him. So God provided this space where he's going to interact with Jonah with maybe some grace and some like, okay, no, we're going to take a, a soft-handed approach. And then the next thing is like, all right, well, that didn't work, so we're taking that away, and we take, the worm's going to take that, and, uh, and then I'm going to give you a scorching, a scorching east wind. Okay, right? So if we, if we look at the... Uh, Let's look at this little passage here. Let's start in, uh, we'll start in six. 
Now the Lord God Manah, a plant, and it came up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head. Fun fact, and we'll talk about this probably more in footnotes, is the shade, the word shade, the first time that word is used is in Genesis 19 verse 8, I think. Yeah, 19.8, where Lot is in Sodom, and he's protecting the angels in his house, and Sodom wants to get at these, these two visitors. That's where Lot is providing shade, providing protection, providing coverage from the people of Sodom. That's the first place where that's used, which we'll talk about maybe some correlations there. Fun little bit. To save him from his discomfort. God provides this gourd to save him from his discomfort. Discomfort, the word there is the raw, this evil. Like this, it's, it's this, this theme that keeps coming up. Like Jonah's got this thing in him that's going to eat him up. And God's trying to protect him from that. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God manah, a worm, that attacked the plant, so it withered. When the sun rose, God manah, a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Now, this scorching east wind, um, I'm not a, meteor, not a meteor, meteorologist, but what I am told is that if you get an east wind coming in that area, it's going to actually bring rain, which if it's a scorching east wind, God's doing something. It's weird again. Do with that what you will. And he asked, Jonah asked that he might die, Maveth, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Another way you could say this is angry until I die. Like, angry until my soul goes away. Like, for the rest of it, like, I'm, I can be angry about this forever. I don't have to let go of this. Jonah's not getting this. He is not learning the lesson. But God provides these places. Let's talk about God providing a place that might be a little uncomfortable. God provides these places to do work on us. Um, if you think of, there's a, there's a verse in Malachi, uh, ver, chapter 3, verse 3, that talks about a refining fire to refine silver, right? And when you're refining silver, I'm not an expert, so find Brandon sometime, and probably he'd know more about this, the metallurgical, what's going on. But they put this silver into what they call a crucible, and you heat it up. And you get it really hot, and you just keep cooking this metal. And what happens is all of the impurities come up to the top, and they can just, the the refiner will just sweep them away. And so when God is providing these places for Jonah, when God provides places for us that might be a little uncomfortable, he's providing a place for all the crap that we're holding on to, to get knocked loose, to get separated out, to float to the surface. And then we can say, God, take this. Like, nope, take that and get rid of it. Like, I don't want that. God gives us these spaces to get the stuff out of our lives. He gives us these spaces for growth. 
Let's talk about the problems in this story. Okay, because there's, there's been problems. Like I, I mentioned a couple. The, uh, the first one being there's a prophet from God and he doesn't do what God wants him to do. Well, that seems like a terrible prophet. Like that's a problem. Um, there's, this, there's this city uh, of really terrible people and God wants to redeem them as opposed to like Sodom and Gomorrah, hellfire and brimstone. Um, first one that sticks out to me in chapter four here, though, is how does Nineveh know that they got pardoned? It doesn't tell us that they know. Did Jonah, did, did Jonah tell him before as he's leaving the city? Well, y'all are saved. I'm out. I, I don't know. It doesn't tell us that. Is Nineveh like, it would make sense. That would probably be the good prophet thing to do, which once again, Jonah's not being a very good prophet, so he's probably not telling them that. Are they just sitting there for 40 days fasting, not knowing if on day 41, kaboom, it's the end of times? Fasting for 40 days? I don't want to go for four hours. Like, that sounds terrible. And I don't like wearing wool. I can only imagine burlap. That sounds very uncomfortable. Okay, so we, we, do they fast for 41 days and then realize that it worked? It would have made sense for Jonah to stay and tell them, but we don't know that. Jonah goes to like sit and watch, which that, that takes us to the next problem. Jonah goes to the east. Now, if you're, if you're reading the Bible and, and especially early like Genesis, everything there east always means running away from God. East is moving the direction away from God. Adam and Eve go east out of the garden. Cain goes east. Babel is built in the east. Everything east is moving away from God. And the first time we see anything go west is Abraham, who God chooses. Abraham moves west and God chooses him. We'll talk about this more next year when we're talking Genesis. But east signifies moving away from God, moving into rebellion. So that's a option. Jonah is... The, the author of Jonah is telling us he's moving away, he's rebelling again to try to, he's angry, to hammer it home. Other possibilities, looking for the destruction to come from the east. It's a little weird. Also, fun little tidbit, Jonah flees west to Tarshish. He runs west to get away from God without what you will. But he's probably, he could be looking for destruction coming from the east, but I pointed this out to Rob because Rob came up with this one, and I was like, well, if he went to the east and destruction's coming from the east, he's now sitting in between the destruction and Nineveh. Like, that's the worst place to sit. I don't know if he was just bad with maps or what, but that's another possibility. But it's a problem in this story. Either way, Jonah doesn't think that Nineveh is actually repenting, or he thinks that God is wrong and is going to change his mind or should change his mind. So he's, he, he either thinks that, nope, Nineveh is not actually going to repent. They're not actually going to be saved. They're going to fall off the bandwagon real quick here and then God's going to take them out. Or like, surely God could not be so stupid as to save these horrible people. That's what, that's what Jonah's sitting there thinking. Like, there's no way. There's no way, God. You can't be that dumb. I'm going to sit here and wait until you get your, like, business in order. 
This is Jonah sitting there, infuriated. Because that's the next problem. Jonah's furious. Why is Jonah furious? He didn't die, which was a possibility of going to Nineveh. Like, the Assyrians did not like them very much as a prophet coming in and saying, y'all are doomed. Like, that's probably a good way to get yourself killed if you're running into your enemies. It's like running into a bobcat's bar and yelling, go Grizz. Probably not a good choice. Uh, And didn't all of these people just turn to God? He should be happy, right? Like, He's the most successful prophet in the Old Testament. Like, he just knocked it out of the park, despite his best efforts. A little context here. The Assyrians were horrible. We use the veggie tail thing about slapping. It says that they slapped everybody with fish. They were mean and they stole things. Yeah, that's the G version. Uh, The PG-13 version, maybe would be uh, they would do things like cut off three of your limbs, both your legs and one arm, and then they'd leave one arm so they could shake hands with you as you died. Oh, that's pretty nice. They uh, managed to perfect the technique of skinning you and keeping you alive during that. They would take people, they would take the Israelites, and we have, there's like, depictions of this, because later the Assyrians came in and they wreaked havoc. There's depictions. They would take their conquered and they would leave one person alive in the family and everybody else in the family, they'd stick their heads on a big old pole and make that one last person march in a parade holding the heads of their family. These are the nicer ones. We don't have anybody that compares to this. You could maybe say like the, the African like genocide people over there, or, or maybe ISIS, but really, like, we don't, we don't understand where Jonah would be sitting there saying, these people, these people, you're going to save these people. You're going to show grace to them. Ask yourself, can you really blame Jonah for being angry? That God would have grace for someone like that. If you remember back to the first week, the implication was, who do you want God to punish? Or who do you you not want God to extend grace to in your life? And I think of, how do I struggle to extend grace to someone who doesn't even register on the same scale as the Assyrians, as the Ninevites. Like, the worst person in my life who has done the most wrong to me and is the biggest pain in my posterior at all times, like, the worst person that I can think of doesn't even register on the scale. And this is, what, this is why Jonah's furious. I can kind of identify, I can understand, I can empathize with why he might be mad, with why he might say, you can't be so, why would you do this? I might be able to identify with that, or at least empathize. Next problem, though, is that Jonah is content to receive mercy from God. 
but he wants to die when it's given to someone else. It's okay for me. It's okay for my people. It's not okay when you extend it to someone else. It's a problem. Next one that I see is that there's this, in the whole book, you've got this storm, a fish, a gourd, a worm, the wind, all of these different aspects of nature that are obeying God. But there's this prophet that won't. Probably talk about that a little bit more in footnotes too. It's a problem, and where there are problems, we should ask, why is, why is that there? Why do we see this? Why It's supposed to catch our attention. Next one is, the most successful prophet in the Old Testament, 120,000 people and much cattle were saved. And he's completely lost at the end of this story. It doesn't resolve which that's the last problem. The whole book ends unresolved. But Jonah's completely lost at the end of this. The, the refining that has occurred or is supposed to be occurring apparently has not happened. Jonah just doesn't get it. Or he's not letting it occur. He's not letting himself get it. He won't give up that, whatever he's holding on to there. we remember last week, the implication was, where are you just going through the motions? Maybe I'm sitting in the crucible, I'm sitting in the fire, but I'm just, I'm just sitting there until, all right, God's going to just turn it off at some point. I'll be fine. I'll just get used to it. But I'm not actually saying, God, I'm not trying to grow through this. I'm not just, I'm just going through the motions. I'm like, I'm just going to wait this out. I think we see that here too. We don't know if Jonah ever lets God actually sweep away because it ends unresolved. We don't know if Jonah lets God sweep away the anger, the evil in his heart. We don't know. This is the only book in the Bible that ends with a question. Only one. This is a fun little Bible, tri- Bible trivia fact. It's the only one that ends like that. So let's talk our last implication here. The implication is that when life does not fit your expectations, when my life does not go the way I want it to, when the things that you thought should happen don't happen, what hurrah arises in your heart? What crap comes up from the depths and is flushed out and exposed to the world because things aren't going the way I want them to. And so all of this comes to the surface. What's revealed when things don't go as expected? Because we're, we're people that we crave patterns and we expect certain things to happen, Right? If this, then that. If I raise my kids this way, then this could never happen to them, right? If I go to work and I work hard all the time and I do this, then this 
will be the outcome. If A plus B equals this, then B, if A plus B equals C, then B plus A equals C. And, you know, we, we love these patterns, right? But life doesn't always do that. And this story shows us that doesn't happen. And God gives us these opportunities. He provides these opportunities for us to take the crap that's going on in our hearts and sweep it off and say, God, get rid of this. Work with me here. Get rid of this. I don't want to sit there and be angry about what you're doing, God, because of the stuff that I'm holding on to. When life doesn't fit our expectations, what arises out of you? This is going to lead us into our time of communion. Because when I think of the crucible, when I think of this, this refining process, God providing a space, right? Um, the thing that dawned on me this morning, uh, I was driving driving the trailer here, and it, it kind of hit me. Um, God provides a space for Jesus in the garden. God provides a space in communion. God provides a space for Christ through the passion, right? That, I can't think of a better crucible. And by better, I mean more aggravating and horrible and absolutely I never want to have to deal with anything like that. That would be terrible. To be, to be put through what Christ did and be on the cross. And then when we ask that question, what arose out of Christ at that point? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Because the Lord said, you pity a plant for which you did not labor and didn't make grow. And should I not pity Nineveh, a city in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know the right hand from their left, who don't know what they're doing? Shouldn't you pity them? And when Christ goes through that crucible, what rises out of that is grace. Grace that it doesn't matter what we put him through. It doesn't matter what he goes through. The fruit of the Spirit comes out in that. And that's, that's what hits me as we go into communion today. Is that Christ knew this was coming when they, they, came, to the, uh, they came to the supper. And we have, we have an open table here, so... If you're a follower of Christ, I'd love to have you join us for communion. Uh, I'll have you come down in a second and grab the elements. But Christ goes to the table with, with his disciples, and he knows Judas is going to betray him. God provides a space. And what does Christ do with that? He washes his feet and breaks bread with him. And God 
Jesus is in the garden, literally says like, God, no, I really don't want to go do this. God provides a space for him. What happens? He carries right on through it. So as we go into communion today, let's be dwelling on that implication. What what spaces has God provided for you today? What space are you in? Is it a gourd? Maybe it's a gourd. And you can be super stoked about it. And be like, God, thank you for the shade. Man, this is great. Maybe it's not a gourd. Let's, as as we're going through communion today, let's focus on that. Let's think on that. Let's meditate on that. Go ahead and come on down. Grab the elements. So, Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread, and after he'd given thanks for it, he broke it. He said, this is my body. It's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. On the same night, after the meal, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Let's remember that. Let's remember that sacrifice. God, we thank you that you would love us so much. That you would constantly pursue us that you would seek after us relentlessly. And God, we thank you that you would provide the spaces that we need to be refined, to be, to be grown, to be made better, to be made more into your image. Help us to deal with those situations with grace. Help us to deal with those situations with patience. Help us to show kindness and love mercy and not be angry when we don't see what we think is justice. But to not, not to stop seeking justice, God, but to just know that you are in control of that. As we go into our last song today, I pray that you would continue to work on our hearts. Help us to hear you. Help us respond to you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, We would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week.
We'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs>